Let's go right into the word if you have your Bibles. The book of Joshua, the first chapter, here we have some great verses for us to really meditate on and to apply to our lives. So you know, or you should know, all the 40 and plus years that Moses was leading Israel through the wilderness, Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. He was servant to Moses. He was on the mount, not all the way up with Moses when Moses was meeting God and received the Ten Commandments, but Joshua was very, very close to him all the time. He was even on Mount Sinai. So you see Joshua and Moses like this, and he's a rather imposing figure in Israel. And then when Moses dies, what we're going to read here, God now gives instructions to Joshua, basically saying, okay, now you're taking over. And this is a very difficult thing to take the place of leadership where Moses has been. Now in verse 5, Joshua chapter 1, God says to Joshua, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. Now look at this here. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Simply put, we have an exhortation here given by God. Three times, telling Joshua, make sure you're strong and make sure you're courageous. Don't fear, don't be dismayed. And today, what I wanted to talk to you about is just the exhortation there. I mean, the title of the message, I should say, is just be strong and courageous. That's it. That's the title. The same exhortation that was given to Joshua is given to us in this hour. We're going to make applications. As you know, and I mention this frequently because it is important in my view, all the signs that we have read and we here have studied of the coming of Christ, I got Daniel is open here and we we'll go through Luke and all these signs, both the Old Testament, the New Testament, especially the words of Jesus. Then, of course, we include the apostles of what the times would be like before Jesus would return. We have those signs with us right now. Of that, there can be no doubt to anybody who's reading a newspaper. God help us. Let me just say something very quickly here. I was reading in the news today of a two-time Grammy-winning singer-songwriter who hasn't had a cell phone, a smartphone, in seven years. And so that raises all the questions of how do you connect with the people you love and do your business and all this stuff. And I'm not going to go through the explanation of that. But when it comes to emails, remember, this is guy's won two Grammys already. Obviously, he's very popular. He'll open up his laptop every couple of days and check his emails, go through 10 and close it. 
The reason that he did that was for his mental health. And I'm not suggesting you, and I need my phone to do church business, other things. I'm not addicted to it. I know how to shut it off. I know how to not click on things that are clickbait. Some people are not. Anyway, what I wanted to say is this. In the hour in which we live, we're seeing all of the signs that should be enough for the average professing Christian. And you remember, I always use the word professing. The average professing Christian to be taking heed and doing his or her best to serve the Lord with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength. With that, let me use the word, we're going to get blowback. We understand from reading the scriptures once again that the fight is not against flesh and blood. And Satan is very clever, and this is my exhortation to you here in America that think it's against Democrats and Republicans. That's where the fight is. And God says, no, the fight is against unseen principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, and we see that in Ephesians 6. We cannot forget this. You go forward with Christ, it will be contested. There's no doubt about that. It's going to be contested. So get ready for that and get used to that, because that's what God is saying here to Joshua. Even though he made promises, and we've read them before, when we go right back to Genesis, and it starts with Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Joseph is brought into the picture as someone who spared Israel for their time in Egypt, for which they spent 400 years. 400 years. That's a long time. That's a long, long time. And God spoke to Abraham from the very beginning. Now I'm going to raise up seed and all the promises that we know coming through Israel, especially the Messiah, and then world peace and the coming kingdom. But right from the beginning, God said to Abraham, but there will be a stranger in a strange land, and so there it is. We have got to understand that we are living in a time that the evidence is surely on our side. God wrote this book, and so we ought to pay attention to it, because it's not how much of it you read, but how much of it you actually do. That's what it all boils down to. So if I were to write the Bible, this is not how I write it unless I was trying to really write a really fantastic piece of fiction where there's always troubles and there's always dilemmas and there's always disasters and, you know, all this stuff. If I was to write a book that is going to be distributed to men like myself who's supposed to attract the crowd and please the people, this is not the book to write. On the one hand, you may debate and argue that it is a crowd pleaser, to which I would agree, but you can't really rejoice about good news until you learn the bad news first. And actually believe the bad news, that there is a hell. And if you don't believe that, this makes no sense at all. None at all. It's just some type of romantic thing, but it has no real relevance to reality. But there is a hell. And Christ came to save us from that. So, this book here, God is speaking to Joshua, and he's reiterating again and again and again. Make sure you're strong and of good courage. Now, in my way of thinking, again, I would say, look at, We already know, you know, we like to quote here, not just here, but I mean in Christianity, we are more than conquerors. It's true, but you still have to live out your life for which there's difficulties and there's obstacles and there's dilemmas and there's surprises that are not always all that pleasant. That's the need, the balance of the book. Yeah, of course, we're more than conquerors. And if you use it in a glib fashion, it makes it appear that life is just that easy. And by the way, this is why many intelligent people who did come to church services at one time walked away because someone left them with the impression that this is really easy. What's wrong with you? So they leave. That's not the only reason that they turn away, but I don't want to leave you with the impression that it's easy because this book and experience both teach that it's not. It's not easy. There are many temptations, many trials. And so that's what God is pointing out to Joshua. I mean, Joshua is an experienced warrior. And again, he is here with Moses, like side by side as his servant all these long years. 
He's used to that. But he's about to lead the nation in continual warfare. And he's being exhorted to be strong and be courageous and don't be fearful and don't be in doubt and dismayed because that would be the temptation. This is why many, many Christians, professing Christians, in the hour of great stress and of great difficulties, just stop. Just, some say, well, I, I didn't know it was going to be like this. Or they say, well, you know, so-and-so on television and on radio says, you know, and they're not in touch with reality. Reality is that this battle here, that's a battle is plural, that's about to take place under Joshua's leadership was part of God's providence and still is part of God's providence. And so the temptation is to walk by sight. They go into a land. Now keep in mind that Joshua was one of the 12 spies sent out originally. God said, this is the land I told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your progenitors. You remember when I told them I was going to give them this land? And all of a sudden, there's some type of association. that We just walk in. We just walk in and we take over because God said he's given it to us. If you recall, when Israel left Egypt, the scriptures say explicitly that God led them not through the shortest distance. The Philistines were there. And the scriptures record that the reason God didn't lead them through the shortest distance between these two points of departure in Egypt to the promised land is because they would have been discouraged by the warfare. So it raises an intelligent question as to why did God even put these obstacles there? Why can't God make this easier? Well, there's a couple of things, but I'll give you one. Because of sin. The world is filled with sin, and God has decided to let evil go but a certain distance before he abolishes it completely, which has not happened yet. That's my experience. (laughs) Evil is in the world, and it comes to pay me a visit quite frequently. Yours is different? If it is, I'd like to hear your interesting story (laughs) of how you just negotiate through every single day with no problem, no temptation to doubt, no temptation to sin, no temptation to quit, no temptation to give up, no voice in your ear telling you, you're not going to heaven, you're not going to make it. Because that's the average experience of everyone who trusts in Christ. It's obstacle after obstacle. It was the experience of the children of Israel. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. And if there was not a temptation to Joshua in particular, to all of us in general, to quit, God would never have to exhort us. 63 times we find the phrase in the Bible, fear not. If there was no temptation once we come to Christ to fear, then God wouldn't have to tell us not to fear. God has never spoken to me, not even once, ever, saying, you must eat. It just comes natural. Not once, not ever, and I don't even know what's in the book here. You must eat. That comes natural. There's a lot of things God doesn't have to tell us because it just comes. There's no need for a superfluous exhortation on something that we're going to do. But there is a need to accent, don't fear, because that's what we will also do if we're not told not to do it. And so in our weakness and in our temptations and in our trials, we are often tempted to quit, to give up, to sin, to turn to strange doctrine, and so forth. But the signs are with us. I was reading a little article. The title of the article, the headline said, the sixth greatest extinction is either about to happen or it's already happening. The sixth greatest extinction. This is from scientists whose basis is evolution. Is that there have been five extinctions in human history or in history of the planet. And anyway, to get to the point, this article, which just ran just this past week, states that the sixth great extinction is about to happen And instead of it happening in a few, whatever, billion years, million years, 
It's going to happen quickly because of man and pollution. And it's not that I disbelieve all of this. It's just that it seemed to me to fit rather neatly into this scenario of everything that we're reading, of the times in which we live. So what they're stating, these scientists are stating, is that they're estimating about 500 species of animals will be gone. And then they go through, you know, some things we already know, and some species are gone, and all of this. But you see, when you read these things, always say two things to yourself. But and God. Because they never factor in God. But God. We hear about Neuralink, Elon Musk's company, where he's going to be planting, he's already done it with chimps. I was going to say, he's already done it with chimps, and then it'll be chumps. <laughs> you know, a type of chip in the brain where you'll be able to control your smartphone just with your thoughts. Now, again, they've done it with chimps, and they're doing some stuff. And uh, the next step, according to Elon Musk and others, is that they're going to put them into human beings. And again, if you just take a little bit of imagination and you start to say to yourself, well, I've read the book of the Revelation and all of these things, the mark of the beast and so on. We know certainly since the end of the World War II, Project Echelon, which has been you know, all of our lifetime, where anything you say, well, first on the telephone, and then as everything expands, radios, all kinds of communication are being picked up by these satellites and other methods that the NSA has and the Brits have and a few of us that have worked together, our allies. Um, anything and everything you say at any time, in any room, at any place is being recorded. That's not news. That's been all of my lifetime, all right, baby boomers. So we're seeing the signs of the times, and this should alert every single one of us. This is the time, this is the season of human history that Jesus said, when you see these things, look up, for your redemption is getting very close, it's drawing very near. And we won't go through the signs today, I'm just giving you a few things to think about. Then we can talk about the wars, we got right now over 125,000 troops, Russian troops at the Ukraine border and Belarus, and the threats from the president. Um, let me say one thing about leadership, if I may. Joshua, Moses, and you know, true leadership, godly leadership is different than a lot of the leadership that we have. I was reading a report, or reports, plural, given by British officers about other officers you know, when they were evaluating them. And some of the reports read like this on Officer A. They said, well, the gates are down, the lights are flashing, but the train is not coming. <laughs> Another one was, the wheel is turning, but the hamster is dead. <laughs> <laughs> This is the British evaluating their own officers, and it just goes on and on all through this type of list. Many people follow him, but only out of curiosity. You see, for me, if it wasn't for the fact that I am assured God is in control of this world, I would be very concerned. I would be very worried. I would be very, very worried, very angry, but I'm not. Why? Because God is ruling in his kingdom. God is on his throne, and his kingdom rules over all. You don't have it now. You're going to have to come to a solid understanding of that truth, or you're going to be blown by every wind of doctrine. You're going to read your paper, and you say, look at this, look at this. And I'm not saying that every journalist is a liar. I don't believe that. I really don't. But far too many are. You've watched the movie Citizen Kane. Orson Welles' character, if it bleeds, it leads. He didn't care if it's true or it's not true, just to build his money and build his empire. And I believe we have a great measure of that today. And so what are we going to do? We're going to look at the book, and we're going to get our exhortation and our guidance from the book, because this is God's book. 
And it is definitely leading us to good news. Again, we must understand the bad news. But once we got that clear, the good news is that God is ruling. And if you don't have that settled, or it's just sort of like, yeah, I kind of feel that he is, you're going to be moved by what you feel, by what you see, by your senses. That's what Joshua is being told. In a very abbreviated form, he's being told that you're going to see things. But here's the interesting thing. Joshua being one of the 12 spies, and only two came back with a good report of the land, Joshua and Caleb, the other 10 brought back an evil report, and they brought back an evil report based on reality, or what they saw with their eyes anyway. There were real giants. There were walled cities. There were some very fierce warriors. We'll talk about them in just a few minutes. In the land, Joshua's report, and this is what makes it interesting, Joshua's report and Galen's report, let's go, we can take them now. But you're dealing with people who have been slaves for 400 years. These are not trained warriors. They're the people of God to whom a promise was given many centuries before that. And they're taught to rely on it. The people who came out, the adults who came out, did not rely on the report of the Lord. And they all died in the wilderness. Joshua came out with Caleb and the young people that grew into adulthood during that 40-year period in the wilderness came out. And so what I'm trying to establish here is this. Why would you need to tell Joshua, don't be afraid, because he's never afraid. And then be courageous, because they're always courageous, these characters of the Bible, but they're not. And you need to be encouraged by that fact that what you read in these characters of the Bible is simply human nature that you have and I have. I won't go so far as to say we're just like them, because obviously these are special people, but not special to the point where they are different than you or different than me. In other words, Joshua's going to face some things he hasn't faced before. He won't have Moses to go to. Now he's going to be in charge. And the very things that he already saw 40 years earlier, that he already knew, God is telling him over and over again here, be strong and courageous because you're going to divide the land. You're going to be the one, not Moses. And by the way, when you're in charge and you have an associate in any business, it's much easier to be the associate because at the end of a day, you can always hand it back to the boss and say, what are we going to do? Let me know. Now Joshua's not going to have that anymore. Now he's got to stand by himself as a man of God, just like you. You can't always be calling up the pastor or somebody for advice because life doesn't work out that way. So you're going to have to stand on your own faith. And Joshua, who already went to the land and brought back a good report, is being told basically, this is what it boils down to, don't walk by your senses. Don't walk by what you hear or see. You walk by faith. You walk by what I just said. I promise these things to your progenitors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on. I promise these things to Israel, and you're the one that's going to bring them through. And I just reminded you that Joshua was already a great man of faith, a man of faith. So we could say this as well. Just because you're a great person of faith in the past does not necessarily mean you're going to be a great man or woman of faith in the future. The trials, they're increasing in intensity. At least that's my view. We're getting hit with so much that it's tough to process all the information. Vaccines, no vaccines, COVID, uh, hospitals are full, no, they're empty. How can an intelligent person figure all this out? Even when you study it. Experts fighting with each, with, with each other and so on and so forth. We either walk by faith or we walk by sight, and it's just that simple. We walk by what God says, and that walk, I'm telling you, it is not easy. So don't feel discouraged when preachers tell you how easy this walk is. They don't say it that way. They just portray it that way. The truth of it is, the deeper you go with Christ, the more satanic hostility comes against your life. But here's the better news. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
Perhaps our greatest enemy is, as FDR said, fear itself. But that little voice comes in when all the evidence pointing to the fact that you really are going under. This isn't working out. And then God's word says something like this. So we read it today. Whatsoever things you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. And it also says with God, nothing is impossible. But I want to bring this to you somewhere in a little bit. The one that I always share with you so frequently. And Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And if we don't remind ourselves of these things, we heard a little earlier, during the announcement, many churches have closed. But not Jesus' church. Not Jesus' church. He said, I'm paraphrasing here. Jesus said, you know, be encouraged, little flock. But your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I'm not so much saying anything against mega churches. I'm just saying that Jesus accented the little ones. Let the little ones come to me. Let the little flock come here. The father's going to give you the kingdom. Few there are that be chosen in all this. Many are called few are chosen. All right. So we have the signs with this. And in one manner of speaking, we're going into the land. Satan is not happy, but he's never been happy. God is still God, and that's really good news. He hasn't changed. He's almighty. He's almighty God. I read a book, uh, read it a few times, as a matter of fact. It's a very thick book. I've recommended it to you if you're interested in eschatology and Bible prophecy that deals with future things by J. Dwight Pentecost. It's called Things to Come. It's a very thorough, thorough book. It's not light reading. You have to think a lot and do a lot of researching as well, but... It's a very, very good book. And I want to read to you a quote from that book when he says this. God, the architect of the ages, has seen fit to take us into his confidence concerning his plan for the future and has revealed his purpose and program in detail in the Word, the Bible. A greater body of Scripture is given to prophecy than any other one subject for approximately one-fourth of the Bible was prophetic at the time it was written. What Pentecost was saying in his book on eschatology, things to come, is that God is telling us this is the plan. When you have trials and tribulations because you've been trusting in Christ and you're a bit upset about that, did you not remember that Jesus said that in the world you will have tribulation? That's in the book. But he said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. That's a choice. When we serve the Lord, we're going to get, as I mentioned before, blowback. We're going to get opposition. That must be understood. In order to make progress, we're going to get opposition, spiritual opposition, thoughts in the mind, whereas the real battleground is in the mind. It's in here. It's in the thought life. We must be strong and of good courage. And again, let me say this to you so you completely understand this. If we were always courageous, God would not have to tell us be courageous. God never had to tell us to breathe. That's not written in the book at all. Make sure you breathe every day. It's just something that we do. But other things that we do is we get discouraged and we're in dismay and we lack the strength and other things. And God says here, as we apply the words of Joshua to our own lives, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of a good courage. So this is an application for us. What does it mean to be strong? Let me give you a definition. Listen to this word. This is the Hebrew word behind our English word strong, kozak, to fasten upon something. To seize something. So what we want to do as an application is we seize upon this word for which J. Dwight Pentecost tells us God has taken us into his confidence. This is how it will go. This is how it will be. This is how it's going to play out. And we seize upon that. And that's what keeps us stable. As the winds blow and the storms arrive and there's so much turbulence and all of these things, the word of God, as we seize upon it, keeps us strong. 
Let's look at the word courageous. The Hebrew word omatz means to be alert physically or mentally. Alert. Now, I understand that there's plenty of preachers that could put you to sleep, but far more soporific is, once again, what we hear from the world, always lulling us into this state of lethargy. We have to be careful that we don't lose the mental acuity that we need in this hour to be alert. I just registered an opinion here about the American hero, Chris Kyle, the sniper, who was shot by his own comrade as they were trying to help him out. And I've always thought that what happened, in my own opinion, is that what happened with Chris Kyle, he was alert, 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 but he let his guard down for an unexpected attack. I mean, it could be argued that, of course, he couldn't have known it, and that would be the case, but I'm not saying anything negative about Chris Kyle. I'm just simply saying that that's how the enemy attacks. When you're all locked and loaded, he's not likely to come at you this way. It's when you put your weapon down and say, well, I guess it's calmed down. That's when the enemy attacks. That's what this word courageous means. Always be alert to what the enemy is doing. Alert to the word of God. So let's look at this here. Look at verse 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life as I was with Moses. So I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Now that's a promise given to Joshua who's going to go into real battle with real very fierce enemies. And then it's a promise by extension to you or I because Jesus also said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. People, I mean, preachers particularly, they like to count numbers and talk about all these things. Jesus isn't like that necessarily. He simply says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst, and I will stay with you right to the end, right down the line, all the way, all the time. Here's the question now for you. Do you believe it? Oh, sure, I believe it, yeah. I believe it too. But when those hours of temptation come, I got decisions to make. Do I still really believe this? Do I really believe this is going to work out? Do I really believe it? Any number of things that go through my head. And that's where your life is guided by the will. You have to use your mind, particularly the will, to say yes. Or some say no. As the heat, well, right now we can only wish for heat. As the cold gets colder and colder, you got to say to yourself, do I really believe this? Do I really believe if I pray and I'm in a right relationship with the Lord, that whatsoever things I ask, believing I will receive, that's a decision made by the will. We heard this earlier in the prayer meeting. Is God really reaching out to our children? Is God really reaching out to you know, our loved ones and so on? And I will say it this way, that's got to be qualified by what do you believe? I mean, God is sovereign. He's not looking for us to detail everything to him. He's doing his work quite well without us. However, when it comes to our own individual lives, he puts the onus on us. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Now, if that person has said, no, I don't believe it, more than likely Jesus would have walked away from him. I believe, Lord, help thou mine unbelief. That was the answer from Jairus when his daughter was dying, and by the time Jesus got there, she was dead. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe that all that we see here in the world and all we're hearing is actually part of a plan, the way God's letting it run, but that in the end it's going to be good? That God's going to work all things together for good, Romans 8, 28. Do you really believe it? Or how, and how do you spend your day? Look, at you know, it's easy to praise. I think I said this to you last week. It's easy to praise the Lord when everything's going right. Though I got to tell you, I don't know too many people where everything's going right at the moment. I really don't. Everybody I run into has got some gripe. But it's much more difficult to praise God when it's not going the way we like, when there's pain, or sickness, and disease, 
and then it's complicated by the irritations of the media and on and on. You're trying to get a straight answer from people and you can't get a straight answer and so forth. What do you believe? What do you actually believe? That's a decision made by the will. Then when God comes through one time after the other, two, three, five, six, sixty, then you have experience. Then you can remind yourself that I was in jams before. The world's been in jams before. And God always comes through. And God's going to come through if thou canst believe. Because that onus, let's go back to Joshua. That onus is on the individual. That onus is on you. Twelve spies went out. God said it's a good land that flows with milk and honey. God is very clever. God's all wisdom, right? He doesn't say, and there's enemies there too. He never mentioned that. So they went out. The ten spies came back and said, yeah, there's milk and there's honey. No doubt. They had the pomegranates. Remember, they came back with the branch. But there's giants. God didn't mention about giants until we get here. And we cannot overcome them. Joshua said, yes, we can. Caleb said, yes, we can. Now when we go into the conquering of Canaan, we see two figures who were back there with the original report going into the land. Then we see the exhortations in the New Testament saying they could not enter into that rest because of their unbelief. You'll not be able to enter into rest from anxiety and from depression and from discouragement, which is going to come your way. So don't say it's not coming your way. It's coming your way. It's coming your way. That's not an option. It's coming your way. You won't have any rest, respite, strength in the midst of all that unless you believe. Please let me reiterate this. If you think that you're going to live on this earth, oh, I'm moving to so-and-so. Everybody's moving somewhere. Can you please name me, email me later, someplace on the earth that is not having problems right now? Name me any country, any group of people. We are in a worldwide crisis of all varieties. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Here's the, the bad news. You're not going to be able to move anywhere where there are no problems. I'm not saying don't move. I'm just saying it doesn't matter where you go. There's going to be problems. Everybody's going here. They're going there. I talk to them all the time. I said, good, fine, go. Because <laughs> my view is that I'm standing you know, here, and wherever I go, the only thing that may change is the weather and the climate, maybe a few other things. You know, man, I tell you, so naive. Let me say it to you plainly. Everybody's now going to Florida. Before you know it, there'll be over 7 billion people in Florida. They'll be walking like this. <laughs> I don't think that way. I think in terms of God is, and he's the God of the universe. He's God wherever you go. I'm just simply saying that there is no place now that you can escape. We are heading into the time of the Great Tribulation. How far away is it? I don't know. But all the evidence is there from Project Echelon that's been around for a long, long time, and Neuralink and all these things, and robotics and everything else that we hear about. We're moving into that time. Verse 6, be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Hundreds of years before this, God made this promise. He says, now you're the one that's going to take the men. But be strong and be courageous, because there's going to be a lot of fights. And let me say this again to you. You profess Christ, I profess Christ. There's going to be a lot of fights. You say to me, I don't like fighting. Get used to it. Start to learn, because you're going to be in a fight. When you fight... Let me give you some advice. You don't fight to lose. Fight to win. And that's when we quote the verse, we are more than conquerors. That sounds good. Well, it is good. But what's left out of that, when it's usually quoted, is all the tribulations the Apostle Paul mentions in Romans chapter 8. Sword, lions, persecution, false brethren, all this stuff. You got to factor that in that we're more than conquerors in the midst of this fight that we're going through and more fights to come. Do I like that scenario? No. I wouldn't have wrote this book this way. But God never consulted me. 
He never said to me, now that you're born, I've been thinking about writing a book, and I want you to review the manuscript. <laughs> I would have had so many deletions and put this in, and when I pray, there's no waiting, it just comes. <laughs> it just falls right on top of your lap. There's never a problem. You know, you bring your children to Sunday school, and every single one of them grow up to be these tremendous saints. And, you know, that doesn't always happen either. Let me tell you something about preacher's kids. For some odd reason, people have the idea that if the preacher is whatever he is, the kids are naturally just as good too. You know, my kids are typical in that respect that if I had, which I did in the past, books of the Bible memorized, verbatim I had them memorized, then my kids should too. They resent that, and I'm with them on that one. We're all individuals. Well, anyway, we have to see what's being given to Joshua is being given to you and to me. It's being given to you and to me. We must be strong. So what is courage? Well, we can actually look at what is courage by describing what it's not. Have you ever been discouraged? Okay, this is a hand raiser. <laughs> this is a hand raiser. Discouraged. See, I never have been. So I don't know how to relate. I don't know how to relate to you people. What's wrong with you? Look at my faith. I'm never discouraged. I honestly believe I battle discouragement much more than all of you, even if we put you all together. What saves me is the fact that I won't conceive my will. Amen. I won't. And I have to tell you, sometimes these old sayings from the streets come back in my mind. <laughs> I can't articulate them. You want the ground? You want my wallet? So you want my wallet? Take it. There it is right there. Take it. Well, there are some, by the way, if you want to learn self-defense, there are some times when it's easier to say, take it than to get shot with a gun or stabbed with a knife. But that's how you got to live. You want the ground? You want time for truth? You want this territory? Then take it. Because Jesus has given us the strength to keep the ground. Amen. Jesus has given us the strength because he said, and I say it again, I will build my church. Now, if I'm building my church, this is going to fall. But if we stick with the book and we stick with the instructions in the book, we can be assured that Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because that's his promise. And that's exactly what's going to happen. So let me go back to just explaining courage by explaining discourage, the antonym. When you're discouraged, you lack boldness, you lack stability, you want to quit. Depression comes in. I've thought of many times that depression, serious depression is a very severe case of discouragement. It's not all that depression is, but so severely discouraged. What do people do when they're really clinically depressed? They may crawl up in the fetal position, hide in a closet and all this stuff. And not that I'm blaming them because, you know, I've dealt with this many times. But I'm simply saying that's a severe form of discouragement. People won't leave the house because their anxiety is just so bad. This is discouragement. Because we already know when you were encouraged that you can keep going forward. In your weakness, staggering, taking a lot of blows, but you keep going forward. You keep on going forward. Look at verse 7. Once again, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do. And that's something that we have to accent here. May observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. And let me just mention the obvious here. This kind of prosperity is not talking about success in business, how to be a CEO, how to have a Learjet. He's talking about warfare. And by the way, for those of you who know the book of Joshua, their first excursion wasn't a good one. It wasn't a good one. They got defeated in their first battle at Ai. And Joshua was already down saying, Lord, what's going on? 
And God said to him, get up. Get up. And Joshua was like, what? what? I mean, he told us, you know. Then he talks about sin. Somebody broke the law, went a little bit to the left. And God said, don't move a little to the left or a little to the right. Do what I say to do. And that's not easy. When you got all kinds of sensations and impulses and thoughts running through your head and to abrogate the commands of Christ and the command of God, that's the natural thing to do. And God said, don't do it. Don't do it. And when you do what I tell you to do, you're going to have success. Well, they went back to AI. They eventually had victory. Then they went to Jericho. And they compassed the city for seven days, then blew the seven trumpets on the seventh day. The walls came down. And again, these were the sons of slaves. They were themselves slaves. Their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents were all slaves. They weren't warriors. But I want you to come with me to the 11th chapter of Joshua. And I want you to see something here. Because once again, we're tempted to think, and it may not be conscious, like when we picture it this way, and I think that people do. When Joshua goes in with these warriors, we picture them being you know, very imposing warriors. Remember, they're sons of slaves. These are not experienced people in warfare. But I want you to look at chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. And it came to pass when Jabed, king of Hazor, had heard these things. Now, Joshua was already having, and the people of Israel were already having victories in the land. And this king hears about it that he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshaph, and the kings that were on the north of the mountains, and on the plains of Chinnaroth, and in the valley, and in the borders of Dor. I mean, he's really going overboard here, isn't he? And to the Canaanite in the east, and on the west, and to the Amorite, and to the Hittite, and to the Perizzite, and the Jebusite, and the mountains, and the high. I mean, he's calling everybody. He's calling all the nations. Because Joshua and Israel are already having some success. And they went out, they and their hosts with them, much people, even as the sand is upon the seashore, and multitude, with horses and chariots, very many. And when all these kings were met together, they came and pitched together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. And the Lord said unto Joshua, look at this again, Be not afraid because of them. For tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up all slain before Israel. Thou shalt huck their horses and burn their chariots with fire. And, you know, I'll say it this way colloquially. Are you kidding me? Don't you see your life in this? You had a few victories and you're all, you know, puffed and proud. And let's sing today, Pastor. Yeah, let's sing today. And then a few weeks from now, either you're not here or you're not singing. Why? Because all of a sudden Satan called in for all these reinforcements against your life. And believe me, I know what I'm talking about. That problem, that problem, that problem, that problem, that problem. You're overwhelmed. You're overwhelmed. And God is saying, I'm still God. And if you admit it, you say, I'm not so sure. This was not supposed to work out. That's because you were listening to that guy who made everything sound like it was so easy. And it's not. Real faith in this real God is not easy. It's a warfare, mainly here, but it's a warfare. Now, among all these names, we came across a group of people, a nation of people called the Hittites. And I was just doing a little checking last night. And I want to just give you this little bit of history. I only went to one article on one website. I didn't even search around. What were the 10 greatest warrior nations in all of history? This is not a Christian site. This is a secular site. On that list, the Hittites are number two. I forgot who was number one, but they're in the same Fertile Crescent area, in the same neighborhood. And the Spartans were three. Wow. So you hear about the Spartans in Thermopylae, and, all, and they were great warriors. The Hittites were above them, according to this historian. Listen, he's talking about the Hittites. As for the composition of their armies, most of the Hittite infantrymen were lightly armed with spears and rudimentary shields. This is a history blog. But much like other contemporary powers of both Near East and the Mediterranean, the elite section of the Hittite army was composed of chariots. 
And here he says, you're going to take their chariots and hawk their horses, or hawk their horses, and burn their chariots in fire. That means of all, there's a bunch of nations here, not just the Hittites. According to this historian here, the Hittites were the second most fierce nation in all of history. And you're going out with a bunch of people who are not as experienced as the Hittites. That's what real faith is about. Real faith is going out into the valley of Elah. There's a man who's 10 feet tall. Give me a man. I just want one man. We'll fight it out, and whoever wins is the winner. The whole army wins or loses based on this one fight. All the big men, including Saul, who was head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel, all cowered down in the trenches. And let me tell you something. If you haven't learned this by experience, well, you will. When things are going well, which I don't know anymore how well they can go, and the praise and worship is just right, and everything's like, that's great service. And unfortunately, since I know so many of you for so long, your life has been hit with some severe tragedies. And you didn't expect it. But that's real life. That's this real warfare. And so now you're going up against a battle that really is impossible. That unless God comes through, just like our American Revolution, there was no way that we should have won. There was no way that a little shepherd boy is going to beat this 10-foot giant who was a warrior from his youth. But faith in God, believing God, no matter what is coming up against us, that's the way out. That's the way to victory. It's predicated upon obedience to God, doing it his way. And let me say this to you today. Some of you have lived with the spirit of fear for far too long. It's taking way too much time to get rid of this spirit of fear. God didn't give it to you. That should be enough to conquer it and get rid of it. And other things that trouble you. It's time to stop talking about what has troubled you for 40 years. Get rid of it. Get done with it. Stop talking about it. Do what God has said to do. Basically, God says, don't worry. And we worry as though it's some type of medal of honor. And it's not. It's not bringing glory to God for us to bite our nails. I know it's a nervous habit, and I'm using it as an illustration. To what degree is this bringing glory to God? What brings glory to God is the intrepid Christian that says, no matter what I see, no matter what I feel, I refuse to not believe God. And you leave it in God's hands. And again, God doesn't always work things out our way, but he'll work it out his way, and his way is best. Every place, he says to Joshua, every place the sole of your foot treads will be holy ground. You take the ground, and you don't give up the ground. But you need to now understand and be exhorted. In order to make this applicable to your life, you must now see fear for what it is. It's an enemy. You must see worry for what it is. It's an enemy. And hatred. And all this anger. Let me say this again. All this anger, which is misdirected at flesh and blood, when the battle we are told in the Bible is spiritual. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You want me to put it in the better parlance? We don't wrestle against Democrats. We don't wrestle against Republicans. We're not even really wrestling against communists or whatever, socialists. We're wrestling against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, unless we understand that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. This is a matter of prayer to God, as it was for Joshua, as it was for Moses, for David, for the apostles, and it is for you, and it is for me. I'm not saying don't have an opinion on politics. I'm not saying don't get involved. I'm saying that if you have confidence in flesh, you would be so severely disappointed and always held in some state of confusion. I told you before, this is the truth. I read a lot of books, a lot of books, a lot of books, and this is the only one that doesn't confuse me. I don't understand everything, and I mean it. I don't understand everything. I'm not saying I understand everything, 
but it don't confuse me. Amen. Obey me. Okay, I get it. Have faith in me. Yes. Check. If we want to see God change our lives, if we want to see God change America, we must make an appeal to God. Amen. And we must do things God's way. I have been attracted for a few months now. I don't specifically know why I'm attracted to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. Let's start with that one. Love your enemies. (laughs) We don't even love each other. (laughs) It's true. You've not been around too many Christian circles. I have. I've heard things said about me from Christian preachers. Well, you just go to heaven. You just go to heaven. Because I don't care one whit what you think about me. My faith is designed to please God, not please people. And so is yours. And when we get to the love your enemies, I always say to myself, I've just had this conversation with my wife, I said, Christians don't even love each other. You would think that that would be easy, but we don't do it. So that's why it's not working. I've had this question brought to me by people who say, Pastor, how come in every city there's so many churches? I say to them, you're right. You would think with all these churches around that we would have some type of a unity. I'm in agreement with a lot of people who ask legitimate, intelligent questions. Why so many churches? Let me tell you why. Preachers are notorious for competing against each other, just like every other business. If we would work together as professing Christians, we could have a whole lot more power than we have at the moment. But that's not the way it's been. And I'm telling you that we can't love our enemies. We don't even love ourselves. I mean, we don't love one another. And the love for God, well, all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the intellect. Uh, Well, let's just stick with those two commandments for today. Love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love one another. Let me just say one thing before I quit. Based on recent happenings, you know, I get these comments now on my feed, you know, sarcastic, insulting type of things. But if anybody thinks that I'm taking down my Facebook page, you guess again. I'm going nowhere. You think I'm going to back down? I hope that you can say the same. I'll use the word we. You think we're going to take a step backwards? We're going forward. We're going to trust God. We're going to believe God. We're going to come forward and we're going to be encouraged, not discouraged. We're going to be strong. We're going to believe God. If ever there was a time when we need God to come through with real miracles, this is the time. To show himself strong. This is one of my prayers before God, is to show yourself strong. Do things in such a way that nobody could even be tempted to guess there was anybody else involved in this but God himself. Be strong and be courageous. You're going to need a ton of it in this world in which we live. And start practicing now, right now. Now let me exhort you as we pray. The spirit of fear, the spirit of anger, the spirit of confusion, all this stuff, enough of the talk. Get yourself unstuck. I don't care if it's been 40, 50 years. At least do me one favor. Don't put it into my ear anymore. I mean that. If you're going to stay stuck, then stay stuck. I'm moving on. I'm not going to stay stuck. I have a lot of other things I want to work on in my own life, but I'm not going to sit and whine, and you shouldn't either. Stand up in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Oh, and let me mention this too. The devil likes to isolate us. Get us all alone. That's when he whispers the loudest, right? Well, that's not a whisper. Look at you and all that. Well, he can definitely go to hell. Father, we bless you today. We thank you. My hope was that this message would be encouraging to people. An exhortation to be strong and courageous. Because we're coming up against so much stuff. But we cannot be anything less than what Joshua was. Because at the end of his life, he was able to say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You serve who you want. You want to serve the gods in this land? 
God's on the other side of the river, or do you want to serve the Lord God? Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord God. I pray today, God, that we would come together as believers in Christ and do all that we can to love one another and especially to love you with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. But God, I do pray for anyone discouraged today. God, exhort them, touch them to get over this. I can't. I've always had this problem. Enough. Enough. Get rid of it and help them to get rid of it. That we may all stand strong in this hour of history for your coming soon. And even so, come, Lord Jesus. Pour out your spirit, Father, we pray. Remind us, help us, exhort us, fill us, fill all your people, that we can love you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength. And then remind us to love each other, strengthen one another, through our prayers, through our exhortations, and anything else we can. Father, we give you all the praise, and we say, Maranatha, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Meantime, we are given our marching orders to be strong. And very courageous. Bless all your people today, I pray, Father. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen with me this morning? Amen. <clears throat> amen. amen.